Let us pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the Spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. This morning, our first reading is from the book of Psalms. I'll be reading from Psalm 119, reading verses 45 through 55. Listen for the word of the Lord. I shall, walk, I shall walk at liberty, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your decrees before kings, and shall not be put to shame. I find my delight in your commandments, because I love them. I revere your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my distress, that your promise gives me life. The arrogant utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your ordinances from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked, those who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs wherever I make my home. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, the fifth chapter. I'll read the first verse and then jump ahead to the 13th verse and then read through verse 25. So listen now for the word of God that is given to the church on this Lord's day. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in Romans, Paul makes the bold claim that we who are in Christ are not under law, but under grace. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death, he says. And for centuries, the church has struggled to understand just exactly what Paul meant with these statements. On the one hand, the Bible makes it clear that we are still subject to divine law. Jesus himself says that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but rather to fulfill the law. Until heaven and earth pass away, Jesus says, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. On the other hand, the Apostle Paul consistently draws a distinction between law and grace, claiming that obedience to the law is not the path to salvation. And trying to earn our righteousness through works and legalistic living is a path to destruction, Paul says. In Christ, we have been set free from that kind of bondage. So this question and this tension persists. What does Paul mean when he proclaims Christian freedom? So in good legalistic fashion, let's begin by defining our terms. Freedom, I think, has two primary meanings. And the first primary meaning defines freedom as the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. To act without hindrance or restraint. So this kind of freedom is an entitlement, a right, an individual power. Paul clearly rejects this view of freedom in the Christian context. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, Paul says, but through love become slaves to one another. So even in a state of Christian freedom, we remain bound by certain restraints. We are still subject to God's authority, obviously. We are still part of God's moral order in creation. And the idea that we should be able to do whatever we want to do Whenever we want to do it is just not part of God's plan for us. The famous Presbyterian preacher Peter Marshall used to tell a story about a little boy in kindergarten who was beginning to get really frustrated at playtime. He didn't like that it was always structured, that it was always planned and supervised. He did not want to play group games. He wanted freedom. He wanted the ability to do whatever he wanted to do out on that playground. That was his time, he thought. So finally the teacher said, okay, I know. (laughs) You have done so well. I mean, it's really, nobody can hold that against you. So the little kindergartner, finally the teacher said, okay, just amuse yourself. You can do whatever you want to do. But it was not long before that little boy came sheepishly back to the teacher. What can I do now, he asked. I don't want to do what I want to do. (laughs) How many have fallen into the trap of thinking that freedom is an entitlement to say whatever we want, to take whatever we want, or to do whatever we want to do? How many have 
thrown off the perceived shackles of a marriage or a career or a hometown to go out and pursue some attractive vision or some appealing desire, some intoxicating thing, only to discover that what they thought they wanted wasn't nearly the blessing that they thought that it would be. It's a story that continues to be told day after day in life after life. It is the age-old story of the prodigal, the son who didn't want to stay at home to follow the rules, but instead wanted to explore a big, exciting world that seemed to shimmer like gold. So he walked away from the stuffy parochialism of the farm, and he went off to be his own boss. And yes, he does discover that he is free to break the rules. But he also discovers that he is not free from the consequences of breaking the rules. He's free to eat whatever he wants to eat, but he is not free of digestion or weight gain. He is free to stay out all night, but he is not free from fatigue and illness. He's free to spend his money on whatever his heart desires, but he is not free from the unavoidable truth that his money has limits and that all that glitters is not gold. This process of discovery inevitably leads to the tragic conclusion of every prodigal, I took what I wanted, and now I find I no longer want what I took. So following the lesson of the wandering prodigal, Paul rejects the idea that freedom is an entitlement to do what we want without hindrance or restraint. Paul is much more an advocate for the second basic definition of freedom, which goes something like this. Freedom is the absence of subjection to domination or despotism. This view of freedom is not about entitlement. This view of freedom is about liberation, about being released from the oppressive chains that bind us. This is the freedom that was sought by the Israelite slaves in Egypt as they cried out to God. This is the freedom that was sought by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and other civil rights leaders. And it is the freedom that Saul experienced when he met the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. It was a freedom that opened the door to a new kind of life for Paul. It is a freedom not to do whatever we wish, but rather a freedom to be committed to something new and something loftier and something better. As Paul writes, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, but do not use freedom. Don't think freedom is an opportunity for self-indulgence. Instead, become slaves to one another, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, when Christ set Paul free, Paul was not freed from all law and restraint. He was just freed from the kind of law and restraint that was making him a hunter and persecutor of Christians. He was freed from the laws and restraints that said you have to pass certain tests or be a certain type of person to be worthy in God's eyes. So freed from those oppressive restraints, Paul was free to embrace a new life and a new set of values. 
Now, Paul's code word for these old oppressive shackles and laws, that was the law of the flesh, he said. We sometimes think of flesh in a sensual or erotic sense, but that was just a very small part of what Paul understood flesh to mean. The works of the flesh, Paul said, are things like idolatry, impurity, strife, jealousy, Anger and bitterness, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness. And you and I know very well the power of these kinds of things to imprison a person. Anger can imprison a person and pollute her view of the world and of other people. Envy, when it really takes root, can spread like kudzu. And choke out the best parts of someone's life. Drunkenness is a disease that can shackle a person and drag him down into dark places. And then, of course, there is idolatry, which is the placing of anything, material goods, comfort, profit, ideology, countless other things, anything above our devotion to the Lord our God. Idolatry is its own form of slavery and its own form of bondage. And as Paul says, these things have no bearing on the kingdom of God. And as long as we are bound by them or devoted primarily to them, we cannot truly inherit the kingdom of God. So standing in stark contrast to this bondage to the flesh is a bondage to a very different set of restraints a way of life that Paul described as being in the Spirit. It is a life lived under the new commandment laid down by Christ, the law that we love one another as Christ has loved us, the law that we do that. And Paul, the pastor, interpreted that law of love as imposing upon every disciple a form of slavery. In the same moment that we are freed from all the wrong kinds of chains and restraints, we are tethered to new ones. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are ties that bind us in the spirit. And there is no law against these things. Nothing binds them. Nothing supersedes them. They stand above and beyond all earthly authority. And this sounds counterintuitive in a number of ways. To say that freedom, that to find freedom, we must subject ourselves to bondage seems counterintuitive. It also may seem counterintuitive that love could be a shackle, that peace could be a restraint, Now, that being said, if I have to be bound by something, are not these the kinds of chains that we would choose? Peter Marshall said it this way, true freedom is finding oneself, choosing one's self. And always in that process, one or more false concepts of what the man thought he was must die. And then once the self is found, for the first time the man accepts full responsibility for that self 
for the choices he makes, for the disciplines he imposes upon himself, for the way he relates to other beings. And at this point, he discovers the paradox at the heart of all truth. We want our freedom in order to give our love and our loyalty away to something bigger than ourselves. So true Christian freedom is, in the end, a form of imprisonment. It is a binding of our hearts, but a binding to our grandest hopes, a binding to our loftiest ideals. And Paul says that when we find this kind of freedom, no worldly circumstances can touch it. In fact, Paul wrote some of his loftiest words about joy and peace and love and devotion while he was literally chained to the wall of a jail cell. The Christian freedom Paul describes in his letters is equally strong, equally real, equally effective in good times and in bad, in poverty and in plenty, in sickness and in health, in life and in death. Martin Luther King Jr. also did some of his best writing on freedom while he was a prisoner. Like Paul, he believed that the truest form of freedom could only be found when we are tethered to one another in faith and in hope. Sitting in a Birmingham jail cell, scribbling his thoughts literally on scraps of toilet paper and bits of newspaper that were then smuggled out of the jail by his friends and supporters, he wrote these words, I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham, he said. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. Tied in a single garment of destiny, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. To say it more biblically, we are slaves to one another. And if others are not free, then we as Christians are not truly free. When others suffer, we suffer. We believe this as followers of Christ Because for him and for the mystery of his gospel, we are called to be slaves to one another. And to use another one of Paul's terms, we are called to be ambassadors in chains. When I was in high school, my pastor Joe Mullen shared a story that he had heard from his ministerial colleague Randy Taylor, who was one of the key architects of the reunification of the Presbyterian Church, the Southern and the Northern Wings in the early 80s. He was also, as it turns out, a son of Charleston. Taylor was visiting a family in his congregation one evening, and he was sitting in the living room having tea with the mother. And right about that time, the stairs, you know, there were thumps coming down the stairs, and the family's eldest daughter, a teenager, was bounding down the steps, and she was headed for the door. She was going out for the evening, and she was in a hurry. She grabbed the car keys, and as she ran to the front door, she just kind of yelled out to the living room, Good night, Mom. And her mother, who was in there with the pastor, just kind of smiled and said, Good evening, Your Excellency. (laughs) Now, I have two daughters, and I have to say I get a little chuckle out of that. But the pastor was also, he was clearly a bit confused by this 
unusual send-off, and the mom could see the look on his face, so she thought a little explanation could help. We have taught our children, she said, that when they are away from home, they need to remember who they are. They are members of our family, and we stand for something. They are children of God. They are ambassadors of the Christian faith. So when she goes out, I call her Her Excellency, just to remind her that she is an ambassador. Paul is treating us as would-be disciples, as children of the living God in exactly the same way, just as he asked his friends in Ephesus for prayers that he would be an effective ambassador for the gospel, even while he was shackled in chains, he encourages us to see ourselves as advocates, as representatives of Christ in all things. In all circumstances, Paul felt himself bound by devotion to Christ, enslaved to his neighbors in Christian love, and chained by an obligation to live a life that is infused with the fruits of the Spirit. And Paul wants us to wrap ourselves in the same kinds of restraints, not grudgingly, but willingly and joyfully. Paul gave this message to every church he served, every church he planted. He urged the Philippians to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, to look not to their own interests, but to the interests of others. He told the Romans to not think of themselves more highly than they ought, but instead to offer themselves as living sacrifices simply because we are all knit together in the body of Christ and we individually are members of one another. And he admonished the Galatians to not fool themselves into thinking that freedom was an opportunity for self-indulgence but to urge them instead to become slaves to one another, loving their neighbors as themselves. The message is clear, consistent, and without compromise. As we leave this place to enjoy the freedom that Christ has provided, let us leave as ambassadors, ambassadors in chains, committed both to God and to the needs of God's people. Amen.